It is great to be uh, with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, if you want to turn there. We're just going to pick up where we left off um, two weeks ago. You know, we took 4th of July weekend off. And a part of why we took that off was because we needed to move everything from the fellowship hall into here. Um, and we did about two weeks to get a couple of things finished. Uh, you might notice the room looks a little differently. If you're watching on the live stream, you might be com- a little confused. Um, there are some aesthetic differences in here, and uh, there's a bunch of reasons for that. One of the reasons why we needed a lot of time, though, is because uh, we have invested in the equipment to do the live stream so for that to be a continuing thing. And so we had to, we've been getting all our own stuff together and uh, Chase Smith and Jesse McGee have been working super hard to get us all like up and rolling and <coughs> excuse me, to get all the kinks worked out. And uh, I want to say a, just a, a mega huge thank you to those guys. The hours they've put in um, are, it's just been amazing to watch everything come together. And so we're kind of figuring all this stuff out as, as we go, as far as like, uh, the cameras and the streaming and all that kind of stuff. So, um, give us a little grace as we sort of work some of those, those things out and make some adjustments here and there. Um, one of the things that, uh, we wanted to do in here was to, um, to be able to, whenever we start to meet again together, to just kind of have it be as normal as it can be. And there's a lot of differences today. Um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out some stuff with communion. And what, what does that look like? And, uh, of course, now that, you know, the governor is kind of, he's kind of ramping up again uh, some of our, you know, precautions and things. And uh, we'll talk at the end of the service about what that means going forward. But... If you look at the, the stream of teaching and the text that we've been in from the time we stopped all the way till now, uh, I got to trust that God's been very intentional in putting that in front of us. And we've been looking at the book of, of Acts uh, at the, the very beginnings of the church, of the, the capital C church, this universal church. And where our story, uh, it's not the exact beginning of our story. You got to go back to the beginning of the Bible for that. But it's the beginning of, of this thing that we know as being the, the, the people of God, the spirit-filled people of God. And we've been just looking at Luke's account of what, what it was like to be a part of that, that first group and what was going on with them. And in chapter 4, uh, we, we pick up um, a, lot of the, a lot of the stories um, in the first part of it are built around uh, Peter and John. And, uh, they, uh, they are, they keep getting in trouble and we're going to see that today. They keep, um, uh, you know, being very, very bold. They keep, uh, speaking the truth of Christ and that keeps making people mad and they keep putting them in jail. So, uh, that's kind of how it goes, I guess. So let's, let's start in the first part of chapter four, um, and see, see what happens with our friends this time around. It says, and they were uh, speaking to the people, the the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them uh, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men that, uh, the number of men came to about 5,000. That's where we stopped last week. And so if you go back just a little bit, there's been a, a progression where Jesus, Jesus uh, goes into heaven 
and tells his disciples to, to go and to pray and to wait. And so there's about 120 of them that are in uh, the upper room and they're waiting and they're praying because he said, you're going to receive power when my spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in this city. And then it's going to go to other, it's going to go beyond that. And the book of Acts really outlines Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so right now we're in the Jerusalem part. And so there's about 120 of them and they're praying and the spirit of God comes upon them. And uh, each of them are filled with the spirit of God and they begin to worship him in these various languages. And at the time there were, there were all these different languages gathered in Jerusalem. And so they were watching this, this miraculous work of God happen where people are praising God in a language that the individual should not know, but the observers know it. And they start asking questions like, how in the world, how do you know that language? You're not from where I'm from. And it leads into this big sermon and basically the gospel is presented saying that Jesus is the Messiah and God has raised him from the dead. And if you repent of your sins and you put your faith in him, you too can be filled. And uh, a couple of thousand people are, you know, come to know Christ that day. And then more things happen. And now it says that the total number of men was about 5,000. So let's, let's just say it's around 10,000 people. So from 120 to 10,000 in a very short amount of time, uh, that got the local officials a little riled up, especially the Sadducees, because they, uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection in the first place, but also they were kind of, uh, they were kind of middlemen between Rome and the people. And so they, it brought them a lot of power to be able to be in good standing with Rome. And so this resurrection from the dead, not only went against them theologically, but it caused a stir that would get Rome upset and basically they could maybe lose their power. And so, uh, so they throw these guys in jail. So you got 10,000 believers filled with the spirit, um, in this city. And this is a volatile situation. That's what is going on here in the, in the best of ways, from our standpoint, Sadducees are scared to death of what could happen. So they, so they throw them into jail. Verse five on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and, uh, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, um, and all who were of the high priestly family, when they had set, uh, set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by, by what name did you do this? Okay. Let me hit pause real quick right there. This that they're, that they're talking about is they, they came upon a man who had been, who had been, uh, unable to walk from birth. And he was begging uh, outside of the gates of the temple and uh, he was asking them for mercy. And, and so they said, we don't have any money, but we, but we know who Jesus is. So in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this man who had never walked in his life stood up and he was known in the community and the whole community is trying to figure out what's going on. They, they don't, they, they're baffled by this miracle and so a part of why they arrest them is they're, 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 one, they're saying, well, by whose name did you do this? How did you, how'd you pull this one off? You know, are you a magician of some sort? Are you, are you David Blaine? You know, like trying to figure out, just kidding. It wasn't David Blaine. Um, but uh, trying to figure out like what's, what's really going on here. And so they're asking him, by whose authority, by what name did you work this miracle? Look at verse eight. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. What a brilliant answer. Like what? Like I wish that I had such good answers to questions. Um, notice in verse 8, a part of where, why this question came, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he said this. Um, when you're filled with something, it will spill out of your life. It just happens. Right? Parents, right? When you're a kid, you, you have a young child and they are always drinking in a cup with a lid on it for a long time. Right? The old, the old sippy cup, apparently, is, is what we call it. And, and there comes a point where they graduate out of the like, lid and they start to be trusted with, a, with an actual cup. Do you fill that cup up all the way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because it is going to spill all over the place. If something is full, then what it is full of is going to spill out of it. That's just how it works. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so that is what comes spilling out of of his life. Um, When we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit comes out of our lives. And the the inverse of that, when we're filled with pride, and and we're like ourselves, or we're all puffed up and all that, that's what spills out. That's what shows up in our, in our language and in our behavior and in our attitude about things. So whatever you are filled with is going to show up. Peter is filled with the Spirit. And so this amazing answer that he gives, that all of us would love to be able to give, is, is, it's not his own doing, it's the Spirit that's filled him. The same Spirit that fills you and fills me. And so in situations when you're, like, you're kind of presented with, with this opportunity... Um, to give this really great answer, we can, we can give answers like this because it wasn't him. It was like, man, what a, what a brilliant man Peter was. Like, no, this was the Spirit. That's what was spilling out of him was the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that these guys, they, they could have used this moment for self-promotion. It would have been so easy. They're like, well, by whose name... Did this man be healed? And Peter could say, well, I mean, I mean, this is what I told him. I said, stand up. It was me. I, I did it. I confess. He could, have, he could have put the attention on himself. He could have, have found a way to position himself to where he got the glory. Him and John got credit. I mean, do you remember when Jesus walked around the disciples and they're all arguing over who's going to be, who's going to sit at his right hand and who's going to be seated at his left hand? They're all talking about, like, they have this ambition within them to be, to be powerful and to be all these kinds of things. They, they could have gone that direction, but they saw this as an opportunity. Here they are filled with the Spirit. This is a chance to, to put Jesus front and center. And that's exactly what they did. Verse 10 says, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. It's by the, by the name of Jesus. See, names, names carried some serious weight in this culture. When you named your child, uh, whatever it was going to be, um, it, it, it always had like another meaning, you know, as a part of it. And um, it was kind of a, it was a, a mixture of things. Some of it was what you were hoping would be your child's character would be summed up by that name. 
some of it was you were trying to forecast a certain destiny for your child. Um, and then sometimes the names were, they were just like tied in, into history. Like you were named after, after a patriarch or someone in the family and that kind of thing. Names were a big deal. Um, and so to say that it was the name of Jesus, uh, there's something a little bit different with this name. See, it could have said it was by the name of, of Abraham or Moses or Isaac or Jacob or David. But they're all dead, right? Like they're they're all dead. Their names their names have they their names carry those senses of destiny and of character and of history, but the names don't have any power to them because those men are dead. Jesus' name has power because he's not dead. He's like, yeah, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And he is alive and he is ready to heal and to restore and to save and to redeem and to do all of these things because he's alive. That's what's different. That's what makes that name a different name is there's a power that comes uh, when heaven and earth overlap in this really just beautiful, amazing way. And so for, for, for them to be filled with the spirit, for that to be spilling out instead of a self-centered moment, this is a Christ exalting moment. And it's the only name that has the power to do this. And so they put that name out there. They knew exactly what the Sadducees were going to think. They knew exactly what could happen. It, it didn't matter. They just didn't care about the consequences uh, in, in a way that is, that isn't like, it's not like rebellious or sinful. It's this beautiful way of saying we have something greater to stand on in this moment. And so that's exactly what they do. Um, and so, uh, look at verse 11. They said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men. By which we must be saved. Let's hit pause right there. One of the one of the things uh, in all of these these anytime that they're addressing crowds, they're always bringing in the Old Testament, always bringing this back. And here he's quoting quoting Isaiah twenty eight and Psalm one eighteen about the, the the cornerstone and the cornerstone being rejected. And a, a cornerstone uh, when when back then when you were building a building, you you set the you set the it's the stone in the corner. You just had the cornerstone and you picked out the right one and you had to shape it and you had to get it just right because that is what set the form for the rest of the building. That's what set the form. That determined the strength of the building. It was all about the cornerstone. And so he's quoting him and he's basically throwing it in their faces and said, hey, you know those prophecies about certain people rejecting the cornerstone, certain builders rejecting the cornerstone? That's, that's y'all. You rejected Jesus as this cornerstone. He is the one. He is the one who sets the form. Peter goes on in his in his own letter to talk about about us as Christians. We're we're living stones that are being formed into into a building that points people to Christ. So he's like, yeah, you know, you guys rejected him, but but he's our cornerstone, and there is no other cornerstone. There is no other name under heaven by which we're saved. Now think about that. Think about the, the heaviness of that of that part of our gospel. You know that there's there's no other name under heaven by which men are saved. You want to think about the 
the power and the beauty in that for a second? There's billions of people on our planet. Billions and billions that have lived all this time. And just one name. Like one name saves them all. Just one. It's not complicated, you know. There's a complexity to it, but it's not complicated. It's just this one name. It's incredible. At the same time, it's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? You know? You think about that <clears throat> that one name and how many people have never heard it. That you could go around the planet and ask people, have you heard of Jesus? And they would probably, a lot of them would tell you no. If they have heard of him, they've, they maybe have not heard what we understand to be about him. Maybe they haven't heard his name. Maybe they've heard, they've heard of, of this you know, Messiah type figure and all that. There's a, a world full of people who don't know the one name. And there are a lot of names that get exalted in our, in our world. A lot of names that get looked to for salvation or, or some, form of, some form of peace or security or something like that. It could be human names. It could be names of, of companies. It could be names of uh, politicians. It could be names of... Um, social causes. It could be names of, uh, you know, people placed on currency. Uh, there's a lot of names out there that keep getting lifted up and there's only one of them that can save. And so we have to, we have to let that kind of overwhelm us. I think that's supposed, that's a part of what we're supposed to feel. Like we're supposed to have that, like a healthy kind of burden. Not guilt or shame, that's not from the Lord, but we are supposed to be burdened by the fact that there are billions of people in our planet and who knows how many of them know, know this Jesus. But we also have to see the brilliance, the absolute brilliance of the Great Commission and cost, like how those, how those partner together. Think about it for a second. Jesus says, um, I'm, I'm going to put my spirit in you and empower you and then I'm going to, I'm going to scatter you all around the world. And, and I want you to, I want you to go to, I want you to go. I want you to, to baptize people. Like I want them to come to, to know, I want them in a relationship with me as their rabbi. And, um, I want you, I want you to teach them all the things that I've taught you. Okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to equip you with the power and all the tools that you need. I'm going to scatter you around the planet. And all you need to do is just introduce them to me and teach them what I taught you. Just teach them, teach them, teach them, teach them. Make disciples, however, however you want to phrase it. And it's going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to have these, you know, several thousand, 10,000 more, whatever it's going to be. And things are going to get crazier in the book of Acts. And they're going to all be driven back home where they came from. And it just scatters all around uh, like Mesopotamia, that, that whole area. And it goes beyond that and it goes into Asia and it goes into Europe and uh, to the ends of the earth. And then the trickle down through history, through a whole bunch of different crazy events, somehow it got to you and got to me. So this one name that saves everyone is put into this brilliant mechanism of life transformation. 
of us going and making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, by us being devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the pr- and prayer, like that, it, it all works. It just works. We wouldn't be here if it didn't work. The challenge becomes how how thoroughly it is working. Like, is it is it getting to all the places that it needs to get as each day passes? You know. And so we're connected. We're connected to all these churches. We're connected all around the all, all around the planet. We're trying to to work in cooperation with all the believers to take this one name and put it above all the other names. And that's the only one that matters. We got an email from our uh, from our friend Nabeen, uh, Nabeen and Matilda uh, and, at Hope of Life in Calcutta. They might be watching right now. I hope so. Uh, they watch most Sundays. And uh, it's been 10 years we've been partnered with them. They run a, 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 it's essentially a foster home in Calcutta. And you have these kids who, who have little to no chance of ever knowing who Jesus is. Just statistically, it's just a fact. And they bring them in the house and they uh, are fostering them, but they are discipling them every single day, every single day, every single day. And now we have the ones who are old enough where they are gone off on their own and they like they know who Jesus is and now they're taking Jesus into India where that name just gets lost in in the the thousands and thousands of other names. So we're partnered, we're we're sharing this thing. So I have my like my little sphere of influence uh, like my relationships, and then we pack those together as a church, and then all the churches in a city, and all the cities in a state, and states in a country, and countries to countries. And so we're covering the planet by all of us just looking at what Jesus said in the very beginnings and just doing that thing. That's what we're trying to do. So it's beautiful, and it's heartbreaking, but it's brilliantly put together. And the fact that he says, I'll give you my spirit. I'll empower you to do all of it sets us up to actually be able to do these things. We just have to be faithful. We just have to be faithful. And we can't get swept up in the pace of our world and the pursuit of the American dream as the end-all, be-all. That's a part of what we're up against here in America. And we talk about that good bit here at Living Hope. Look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's hit pause right there again. First of all, they said that they were uneducated, common men. This doesn't, this doesn't mean necessarily what, it, what, it, what we think it means. This is more referring to the fact that these guys were speaking as someone who had studied under a rabbi, and yet they're just like fishermen guys. They're they're speaking with a boldness and an authority that only comes with someone who has been trained. It's in, in about school. It's not, it's not about book learning. It's about being trained by a rabbi. And they're looking and they're saying, uh, they're saying, these guys, this doesn't really make sense. 
They shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to like hang with us in an argument. And then it says, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That this is all the training that they needed for this. That there was nothing really special about these guys in, in, a, in a worldly, earthly sense. The special thing about them was that they had been with Christ. And that's all the training that they needed. And so here, here we are as Christians and we have this, this commission that we're under. And we have these relationships in our lives that, the, from the, from the like one-time occurrence, real casual ones, all the way down to the people that we do life with, you know, the full spectrum. Um, and it's so easy to be intimidated by, by the opportunity in front of us that, that we, just, we need to be filled with the Spirit so that is what is flowing out of us into the lives uh, around us. And we just need to be, have the same boldness that they, that they do to not be afraid to bring this up, to pray with your friends, to talk about what God has been teaching you, to ask your friends what has God been teaching you. Uh, it could be a, a number of things. It's easy to be intimidated by it, and we kind of get lost in our own insecurities sometimes. But don't get lost in what we see right here. The thing that made these guys, these guys, was the fact they had been with Jesus. So if you are with Jesus, if you are walking with Christ, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. You have everything that you need for those conversations and those encounters. You have everything you need to know how to pray. You have everything you need to be able to get into the scriptures and to apply them. You have everything that you need. Don't buy into that lie that that certain things are only for they're only for like career missionaries and people who went to seminary. I went to seminary. I'm telling you, it didn't do that much for me. <laughs> it really didn't. You know where I learned? I learned in the trenches with a bunch of you. Like we lived life together and we figured things out. I learned far more. Uh, in real life experience than I did at seminary. Seminary got me some really good books, some a couple of lectures that w- that were transformational, some relationships. I'm not sad that I went. I'm just saying it, it does not make me any more qualified than any any of you. If someone is a career missionary, we should be grateful for them. We should honor them. But we, should, we should not look at them as far more holy than us, far more called, far more significant in the kingdom. No, we just honor each other. We respect each other. But we are all untrained, ordinary people. And what makes us, what distinguishes us is that we walk with Jesus. Okay? So look at this last paragraph. I'll lay in this plane here. Verse 14. Seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another and said, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evidence to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because 
of all the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So, so they see a healing of a man who, who they have watched him grow up. More than 40 years they've watched him not be able to walk. And suddenly he's walking he's praising God. And everyone's praising God. And these religious leaders, religious slash political leaders, had no, they were just like, we have nothing to do here. And they try to shut him down. And what a great answer. So we, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And, and I don't know, I don't know if this, how to interpret it. And I kind of was like, maybe there's two ways and we'll just, maybe it's both. I don't know. Part of me thinks they're saying, uh, we, we can't like, we just, we, we can't stop ourselves. You know, like what God has done is so, is so evident and beautiful and powerful. And I, I just, I can't help it. Like you can tell me not to, but I don't know if I can not do that, you know? Um, or I don't know if they're saying, Hey, you can say it all you want, but we will not stop. And maybe it's, but maybe, maybe one has to happen for the other one to happen. You know, you can threaten me. You can throw me in jail. You can do whatever. This is too important. It's too important. And there's a, there's a lot of important things in our world. You know, there's a lot going on around us. And all across the globe, things that we, we need to be vocal about, we need to speak up about. But can we all be in agreement? There's nothing more important than this. As important as, as those things are, nothing, nothing is greater than people knowing who Jesus is. That's, that's, our, that's our privilege to carry. It's, to carry that burden is, a, is an honor. I know there needs to be a weightiness to that. And so as we think across the spectrum of our lives, from our closest people all the way to those chance encounters, God is like, we are a people who are sent. We're sent. He says, go make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. That's what, that's what we're doing. And how did the first, the first Christians, how did they train all these new Christians? They said, devote yourself to the scriptures, to this community, to table fellowship and the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Devote yourself to those things. That will equip you, make you sharp. That will fill you with the Spirit. So when you go, it's just spilling all over everywhere. And all these years later, it's, we're, we're not under this new, this new thing. Jesus, he only made a new covenant once. We're under it now. And so, uh, what a beautiful privilege it is to carry this. Um, beginning with the honor of just knowing him at all. I mean, but by the grace of God, we too would be those who've never heard the name. I don't know what to do with that, honestly. You know, like I don't know what to do with the fact that I was born in a place with a lot of Bibles, a lot of churches. And other people were not born in a place with a lot of Bibles and a lot of churches. I don't know how to process it. I, I just know that I'm grateful. I don't have to have all that calculated and figured out. I know that I'm grateful and that makes me a steward of something. That what I know needs to go to the ones who don't know. 
And so we carry this together. Uh, it's part of what it, it is to be the church. And one of the tragedies about this whole COVID thing, I and mean, there's a lot of tragedies to it. One of them is that the church is not that we haven't been able to like to flex those spiritual gift muscles with each other in the same way. You know, we haven't been able to gather. We haven't been able to sing. We haven't been able to pray together. We haven't been able to share communion. We haven't been able to do those things that they're they're us. It's a part of who we are. We've kind of gotten a taste of the underground church a little bit. There are churches all over the planet, even in the most closed countries in the world. Churches meeting in secret and all these kinds of things. Believers find a way to get it done. It's who we are. And so who knows what the next few weeks will hold. Who knows as Louisiana does, you know, we do our thing and whatever that looks like. Uh, But the, the Great Commission and Pentecost fitting together doesn't change at all. It doesn't change at all. And so what I have to do is I have to, I have to, it's like every week I have to like look in the mirror and figure out how does, how does this today, these songs, these conversations, these prayers, these scriptures, how, what does this have to do with me as I propel back, as I propel into this next week? What does God want me to grab onto? That's what you have to do as well. Now, typically we would have a response time and uh, we would have communion and we do different things, but we're not doing that right now. We're trying to figure out how to do that safely, mainly by looking at how other places do it safely and stealing their ideas, which is kind of kind of living hope one on one. But we can still pray and we can still sing and we can still just respond to what God is doing and. Although there isn't actual bread and juice to consume, we can still, in the spirit of Christ, receive the grace that he has for us. Receive the body and the blood that he has for us as though he is offering himself to us to give us the grace that we need to walk in the truths that he's stirring. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a little bit before we go and just kind of let let the Lord do whatever he wants to do before we dismiss this morning. So uh, would you pray with me? Lord, I'm I'm always grateful to be with your people and to be with you. Uh, It's a specialness today. Um, When I think about those believers all around the world who are gathered uh, in different places, and some are in big rooms and some are are hiding in a basement because it's illegal (laughs) to be together. Um, I love the fact that we are united together, that we're, that there's a thread that runs between us all that began with you on a cross and, um, just carries through all the way to this day. God, I know that, uh, we look at the boldness of Peter and John and, We look at what's going on here and we just think, man, those those guys were awesome. And they were. But it's your spirit that had them filled up. It's your spirit that told them what to say. It's your spirit that guides us forward and helps us us along. God, that helps us to walk in the same, same things that they did. And so as we look at ways to apply this stuff, God, I'm so grateful to know the one name and I want to take that name to other people 
that's not something I can do in my own ability, my own pride, my own self-reliance. I have to be dependent on who you and who you are. So I ask you to help us all to apply this in our lives and whatever that may look like. But it begins with being just amazed at who Jesus is. It begins with us that name being lifted above all in our own lives and so God if there's anything that we've been exalting anything we've been looking to anything that's been competing you help us to let go of those things and to just to find our um, to find that direction again find that true north again to have that first love God, as we sing and as we pray and just respond to what you're stirring in us, may you have your way in our hearts and our minds. We love you. We pray this in your name.